This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Turning now to the very encouraging, though not unexpected, breaking news we told you about. Health Canada has just approved the Pfizer vaccine, which means Canadians can start receiving the jab as soon as the first shipment arrives, which the Prime Minister says will be next week. We also had some caution surrounding allergic reactions suffered by two British healthcare workers yesterday. So uh, we're going to sort the whole thing out. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's bring in Dr. Prabhat Jha, epidemiologist and faculty member at the Dalalana School of Public Health, and Dr. Colin Furness, an infection control epidemiologist and assistant professor at the U of T's Faculty of Information. Thank you so much for being with us. Good afternoon. Good day. Okay, uh, let's start with Dr. Jha. So first of all, your reaction to the approval. It's welcome news. The vaccines uh, will play an essential role, particularly in protecting our nursing home populations and high-risk uh, populations such as uh, frontline healthcare workers. But I would caution that we should always not think that COVID vaccines should are going to be a magic bullet that'll end the pandemic. It's to be considered as one of the key pillars while we continue to make efforts to use smart physical distancing, masks, contact tracing, and most importantly, testing strategies. And that's driven by the clear recognition that for the vast majority of infected populations, self-isolation for two weeks will mostly end onward transmission to others. So vaccines are hopeful, but they're not going to be the only thing that we need to do. We still need to do the things that we've not done so well. Colin Furness, what's your reaction to this news? I don't think I could change a single word uh, of, of Dr. Ja. I, w- I guess I would just add that we need to divide our world into people who have agency, people who can isolate, people who can work from home, people who can make those choices, and those like people who are institutionalized in long-term care homes who cannot. So the vaccine will be most useful for people who don't have that agency, and that also includes essential workers, people who have occupational risk to COVID. So I am thrilled that we're going to be able to start protecting those folks and those folks first. And I would absolutely underscore what Dr. Jha had to say. We still need masks. We still need physical distancing. And certainly, above all, we need a smart testing strategy. That's something we still don't yet have. Um, Interesting. Uh, You both mentioned long-term care, and we've found out that uh, the first batches, the Pfizer vaccine, won't be going to long-term care for technical and logistic reasons, and uh, instead they'll start vaccinating the people who work in long-term care. But, you know, that's that's actually a bit of a, a setback for the most vulnerable, I think. Well, I think you take all opportunities uh, in public health and figure out what I very much hope is that this will be guided by 
evidence and logic and not simply pressure groups that, oh, well, this is the most important group to vaccinate. So let's take nursing homes in particular. Well, 80% of Canadian deaths have been in nursing homes. And what has been identified is the main points of entry of transmission have not been family visiting nursing homes, but actually been staff. And that's because, as Dr. Furness said, many of the staff are underpaid, undertrained, don't have the ability to uh, take time off if they get sick. And the testing strategies are terrible. They, they're supposed to be tested twice a week, but in some settings, if they're lucky, they'll get tested every two weeks. So in that context, I think it's uh, if the Pfizer vaccine has a limitation, it has to be at minus 80 uh, refrigerators, of which you know, not many people have one in their basement. So you've got to um, use the opportunity. And I do think targeting uh, to try to decreased transmission in and around nursing homes uh, is still the top priority for for Canada and for Ontario. Uh yeah, uh, but I guess the, the, the residents themselves will have to wait until there's a, a vaccine that's, that's easier to deal with. Um, I'd like to uh, turn, there were a couple of allergic reactions, adverse allergic reactions in Britain yesterday in healthcare workers. And I think the, the, the upshot of that is that they're saying that if you have severe allergies enough to be carrying an EpiPen, then, then you shouldn't get that vaccine. Dr. Furness? Well, anytime you're administering a new vaccine to a large population, you're going to have adverse effects. These uh, allergic reactions did not show up in the safety trials. And so what we don't know is, were these two flukes or were, was this side effect missed in the, in the safety trials? We don't know. I think that, that early advice that if you, if you are allergic to the point of needing an EpiPen to avoid the vaccine for now, I think that's, that seems like sound advice while we learn more. And we should brace for more kinds of side effects like that. But we don't need to vaccinate 100% of the population in order to manage COVID. So it's not something I would be concerned about in terms of our way forward. I think we just have to be prudent and careful and understand that, yes, there's going to be side effects when you go with a new drug into a large population. I mean, I, I would think that the people administering the shots would take a history from the people and would know what's in the shots. Dr. Jai, is that, uh, I mean, oh, won't they um, know what's absolutely. in? Yeah, absolutely. I think you want to be uh, cautious and as uh, we get more evidence on uh, side effects to convey that. But I agree with Dr. Furness and, and your point that what really is needed is we need what's called effective phase four surveillance. So as you know, randomized trials undergo these various phases. And typically a phase three trial is done over at least two years. And so you can monitor side effects. In this case, COVID trials were really rushed within months. So we don't have long-term impact on the population. So what is absolutely needed is along with uh, Minister Elliott and Premier Ford saying everyone's going to get a health card or a vaccination card would be a smart strategy that would link every person in Ontario and across the country who gets a vaccine, get them to opt in. Well, basically it's an opt-in is the default so that you can link them to their health card number and you can do an active follow-up, which would be as simple as uh, following them up by phone or sending them what we've done in our study, a home dried blood spot 
kit to monitor uh, whether they in fact are getting a positive reaction to the uh, to the vaccine and to monitor side effects. So when you have a short phase three, which we had to do in this setting in Canada, we absolutely have to make sure our health system is tracking the people that get vaccinated and linking them to the key outcomes and monitoring side effects. Do we have the technology to do that? We have the technology. What we don't have is the political will that um, worries about two things, provincial, federal turf issues. Oh, God, that is the worst. And secondly, privacy. Uh, there's lots of people who say, oh, well, I, you know, everything I do is uh, supposed to be uh, private. Well, I mean, many of these people are the same that are using uh, devices, and certainly Google and Gmail know everything you're doing. And here's a public health emergency. In and which, Amazon. Yeah, and in which we have to say the standards for protecting others do mean a surrender of some of our privacy for the greater good. And we should be absolutely clear about that. And I hope that as the vaccines are introduced, it will basically mean if you get one, you have to sign up to be volunteer. Basically, you have to be monitored to see what the impact is. Well, you know, I mean, even with a flu shot, uh, you know, they, they ask you or they make you sit for 15 minutes to make sure there's no immediate reaction. Um, I guess this is just a, another level of that. Uh, let's go to Melanie in High Park. Hello, Melanie. Hello, I just want to quickly wish everybody blessed holidays, Hanukkah, Christmas, New Year's, and God bless you all. Um, I wanted to know, actually my husband, the smart one, asked, if he gets vaccinated, do we still have to wear the masks? And my second question is, what is your opinion? I see buses when we're driving. We see buses that are so packed, people are standing up. Where is the six feet distancing on a crowded bus with no air circulation? How is this possibly spreading the virus? And thank you, and I'll take your answer off the air. Okay, great. Yes. Okay, who wants to take the mask question? Well, I would just add that uh, uh, in terms of physical distancing uh, and masks, uh, the key factor that's been identified is being closed indoor places with without masks. And it is true that I take the transit uh, down to work, and occasionally the TTC is full, but the fact that everyone is wearing masks and facing OH for each other, and it's a short ride, it's about 10 minutes, means the chances of getting infected are very low. So we have to be a little bit sensible about, uh, about use of uh, uh, masks, which will have to continue well into the future. Colin? I would add that for, for getting uh, the vaccine, yeah, you still need to wear a mask. And there's, there's a couple reasons for that. Um, one is, first of all, it can take a couple weeks for, the, for your immune system to really respond to develop that immunity. Beyond that, we don't know to what extent people who have been vaccinated still get infected by COVID or, and then are then able to fight it off. So it's possible and, in fact, likely that COVID will still infect your nose and your throat. You won't notice. And then your body will take over. Your immune system will take over and clear it. But during the time, you may well be infectious. So you may be possible, it may be possible to be vaccinated and still, for at least a small period of time, be, be infective to others. And, and the last reason 
is that we need people to wear masks. We just do until this pandemic is done. And when people start saying, well, I don't need to wear one now, um, the wheels really start to come off the proverbial bus. So I think we all need to, uh, we all need to be we rowing together and in the same direction on, on, the, on the very vital question of masks. I think Dr. Jaw is exactly right. Masks make you less unsafe on a bus. A lack of masks creates a seriously risky situation. Okay, I have two very quick questions before we wrap things up. So the first is, this is one objection I have heard from people on getting vaccinated. They say, hey, if vulnerable people are vaccinated, then they're they're immune from me and I don't have to get vaccinated. What do you say to those people? That's wishful thinking that uh, we this I mean, somewhere along the lines we started having these ideas of herd immunity introduced. And that's really quite a silly one because we have so few examples where you really get herd immunity through vaccination. I mean, measles is probably the best one, but there's not many others. Uh, so the sensible thing is to use all the tools that are needed to keep infections low. And eventually it does go away if you do all of the tools. So that's vaccinations, that's masks, that's physical distancing, that's contact tracing. So uh, I come back to the key point. There's no single cure for this pandemic. We have to do all of these things and use them well and wisely. And uh, Colin Furness, just before we go, uh, you know, the, the vaccine, if you get one, it's, it's not an immediate bullet. Um, can you go through how long it takes to develop the immunity? So for this particular vaccine, I don't know, but the general sort of default rule of thumb is it takes your body about two weeks to start generating antibodies when it's when it responds to an infection. That seems to be the case with COVID. It's going to vary on an individual basis, but certainly when people get the flu shot, you should be told if you're not that you need to understand that you don't have protection for those first two weeks. So until I hear differently, I would say two weeks would be just about the right uh, the right margin there. I actually think I'll it's a month. I'll that by saying it's uh, it's a two dose vaccine, most of the, the early RNA ones. So you get a primer and then 21 days later you get the boost. And people's side effects tend to be more of the, the 21 day. And then in that time period, you certainly don't have any immunity. And only a few weeks after the second dose will you start to get immunity. Okay. Um, we are out of time on that. And thank you so much, Dr. Colin Furness and Dr. Prabhat Ja. Appreciate thank your you. time. Thank you. Let's bring in Dr. Kareem Kurji, York Region Chief Medical Officer of Health. Doctor, thank you for joining us. You're welcome, Libby. First of all, what's your reaction to the approval of the vaccine? Oh, very pleased about that. And, uh, you know, we have been making a lot of preparations uh, locally, right, to be able to distribute and to be able to administer it. And, uh, you know, with our hospital partners and with our physicians and pharmacists in the community, I, you know, we, we have every confidence with respect to getting it into people's arms as soon as possible. Um, and we work very closely with the ministry's tables and we take direction from the Ministry of Health for whom we are very grateful. And uh, do you, uh, have you confirmed that uh, that uh, you're, there's going to be a delivery point in York Region and where would it be? Well, we have multiple uh, uh, potentially suitable areas for delivery points and a lot of it will depend on the ministry's uh, directions. Uh, so, for example, uh, we have uh, in York Region Public Health 
we have spent, uh, you know, several million dollars upgrading and a new vaccine depot, as it were. And uh, this is as we moved into a new building. So we are very capable of uh, being able to store and, uh, you know, vaccines. There are some issues regarding the temperature requirements, and we are in dialogue with the ministry. But likewise, some of our hospitals are also well equipped to be able to um, you know, have that capacity, and that may be more appropriate if you are looking at the immunization of healthcare workers to begin with. Well, it's uh, it's apparently coming next week. When will you find out if uh, any of that comes to your region? So there's already uh, you know meetings going on, right? You know, with uh, the appropriate individuals, and uh, I'm sure the minister will probably announce at the appropriate time. You know, when these preparations have been completed. In the meantime, what's your reaction to this uh, joint letter from the CEOs of the three hospitals? Uh, they don't do that kind of thing lightly. Uh, are you worried about the situation with a growing number of COVID cases? I'm pleased that they put out that particular letter. Um, you know, we have very regular consultations with our three presidents, and we discussed uh, a slightly different strategy to get the public's attention with respect to following public health guidelines. And so uh, what they have done is they've emphasized the precarious nature of uh, resourcing within, uh, you know, healthcare facilities in York region and the necessity for the public to follow the guidelines. And the guidelines essentially are stay at home as much as you can, only go out for essential visits and stick to your own households as much as possible. In addition to that, you know, don't go out if you've got even mild symptoms, you know, physically distanced by two meters or more, wear masks where we recommend them, cough and sneeze etiquette, washing your hands frequently, and avoid touching your face with unwashed hands. You know, the public sometimes forgets these particular components of the guidelines, and we wanted to remind them of the importance of these in order to avert uh, greater problems. Um, However, in terms of uh, them being able to manage, uh, the message to me is that they can manage the uh, COVID-19 workloads, but they are being challenged with their staff being coming down with COVID-19 as a result of acquisition from the York Region community. And and this, sorry, uh, have they had to cancel other surgeries and other elective procedures? So they have uh, already had to open up, uh, you know, contingency spaces like fracture clinics, and they have also been challenged with you know, too many people in the emergency departments, you know, where physical distancing can be a problem. And uh, the cancellation of surgeries is very much on the on their minds. And of course, we would all like to avert all that, uh, and hence the appeal to the public to really not get into any social gatherings and, you know, not create more cases, as it were. Now, York Region is not in lockdown. It's 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 not in the gray zone that we are in here in Toronto. And the mayors have argued that it's not necessary. And one of the things that they've been using in their arguments is that, hey, our hospitals are fine in terms of capacity, so don't put us in lockdown. But if the hospitals are no longer fine in terms of uh, uh, of capacity, uh, shouldn't shouldn't uh, that be a sign that you need to go into lockdown? So I have been in discussions with the chief medical officer of health and his senior people, and uh, they have a very difficult decision to make. You know, as there are many metrics that come into play here and many decisions 
considerations. And uh, we in York Region have generally been maintaining that uh, uh, with the enhanced enforcement, with the with us being in the red zone, those restrictions are quite serious. And uh, us being very good. Uh, contact tracing, uh, this is the sweet point in terms of the balance between mental health concerns, social isolation concerns, and economic ruin for many of our smaller businesses. That having been said, I have the utmost respect for the uh, provincial leadership, and uh, I know that they will have to balance uh, all these points. So, just just a minute. So, are you saying, I'm asking you for your opinion, uh, do you think that a lockdown is not necessary then, even though these hospitals are at what they call the tipping point. That's right. I don't think that a lockdown is necessary because our modeling, which we've done through SCARSING, shows that it will have minimal gain. And we believe that a more targeted approach with respect to wherever there are problems beyond this red zone I mean, we've already got a class section 22 order uh, compelling malls and retail outlets to ensure physical distancing. And we have been laying lots of charges. Uh, just in the last week, we've laid 60 charges. Wow. Having ins- inspected some 760 premises. The week prior to that, we laid 84 charges after having inspected 1,683 premises. We're in business when it comes to ensuring that the physical uh, uh, distancing guidelines are being uh, followed. If you've laid that many charges, there are probably a lot more people out there uh, breaking the rules, I would think. On the other hand, you know, our experience is, is that the majority of the businesses are in great compliance. Uh, our rates for mask bearing in the malls, and we've done surveys, are around at 98%. So the public is generally very compliant. So we feel that we can navigate, uh, uh, you know, a difficult pathway between the red zone and additional measures, uh, plus the balancing effects of mental health stresses. Uh, for example, I had one client tell me that as a result of losing his job, he's got three wife, he's got three kids, he's taken to alcohol. So this these are the sorts of issues that we want to prevent, as it were. Uh final question. I gather that some of the issue in the hospitals is because these hospitals are expecting accepting patients from outside the regions where, where the hospitals are, are under more pressure, is that right? So I would say, I don't want to use the word only, but when we look at York Region residents in the hospitals, uh, there are 11. But when you actually look at the numbers of patients in ICU, and this is the ICU patients I'm referring to, uh, there are uh, double that numbering of York Region hospitals. So yes, they have had to take in patients, patients from across the GTA. This is part of the way that our healthcare system works. You know, we help each other out and we're expected to help each other out. And uh, we're uh, just about out of uh, time. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with on this, Dr. Kurji? Uh, just a real appeal to the public to listen to the public health guidelines. We, 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 it'll take a number of months still before you know, we all get vaccinated. So please listen to the public health guidelines and keep safe that way. Okay. Dr. Kareem Kurji, thank you so much for being with us. You're most welcome, Ruby. Okay. You too. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.